Welcome to Articulate Warbling with Zach Ferguson. You can help out the show by suggesting it to others, or buying a shirt, or checking out any of Zach's stuff. So go to the show notes and click on the link, and that'll send you right to where to find Zach's stuff to find a book. Anything else you need to do, follow Zach on Instagram, suggest the show, rate, review, subscribe, all that fun stuff. But hey, here's Zach. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of It's Not a Rant. It's Articulate Warbling. Uh, I don't have my co-host here today, sadly, so all of you masturbating going, Oh, oh, oh wish that lady with that voice. Oh, 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 she really gets me going. Oh, 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 one minute, where is she? Oh, no, I just came all over my hands. Oh, I'm going to Spider-Man flick it up the wall. Uh, she's not here, she's working, whereas I am pseudo-working in my own sense. I've just started uh, the initiation process of the publication house that I have latterly or aforementioned in previous podcasts. Yes, it's going to be a thing. Uh, starting from the 1st of August till the 31st of October, sweat-drenched press. That's right, incorporating my my Twitter, Instagram handle. I was like, I was, it felt like I was trapped between a rock and a hard place. Well, I feel like that the majority of the time. I was like, what should I call it? Pessimistically nihilistically optimistic, pessimistically optimistic press, and I was like, sweat drenched press. Because me as a person, as an artist, it's very blatant, and everyone knows I'm a bit of a sweaty git. Everyone's of the belief it's because I'm furiously smashing the keyboard, smashing that control machine. No, I just sweat a lot. There's something wrong with my glands and my just my body, my system, and I just sweat drenched press will be open for submissions. Um we're on Facebook. I have yet to make a website, but I'm going to. But I just want to generate and garner a little bit of, uh, not press, but not, I can't even call it viewership, a little bit of uh, recognition. Not even recognition, just getting get a little bit of attention online, Facebook. I know a lot of presses work directly through that. Well. A lot of people are like, it's professional, it's professional, I'm pro. I'm professional, I'm professional. You ain't got a website. Give me time, give me time. But uh, yes, if anyone's got experimental, innovative, uh, uh, transgressive works that they would like to be released and you feel ostracised, alienated from the literary community, which a lot of people do, or you're new, uh, please come join. Uh, I'm really excited. But I've given myself a little bit of room to finish my, um, uh, not really contractual obligations, but my more metaphysical, spiritual, uh, <laughs> self-imposed uh uh, emotional obligations I need to finish Artist Autism uh, for a press that is starting up on of itself for a dear friend of mine I need to get the system compendium in on and out there and also I want to give a special thanks out to Carlos Davila who did the beautiful collage grotesque fucked up uh, artwork for the system compendium of which I've attributed as well as part of the design and theme of the press because the press pretty much is the exemplification of who I am as an artist I'm a pure experimental and I want others of a similar design to come in and, you know, corrupt that system that I'm creating and make this press as much theirs as it is mine. I want it to be there for people to get the recognition, to get some confidence, to get that boost, that recognition and that 
a bit of gumption that I recognise you and payment will be made, there will be contracts, it will be done professionally, um, payment won't be <laughs> um, of a high degree, but it's going to be a non-profit organisation. I want people who want to do it for the love of art and who want to build and be part of this community because I feel there's not really an experimental community, though there's loads of publications. I just don't get a feeling of community. I just feel a lot of experimental artists get their works published and then they're like, oh, onto the next publication house. It's not that I'm saying, you have to come with me and stay with me, but I just want uh, familial ties and familial aesthetical, emotional, metaphysical, philosophical outlooks on artistry. And it's kind of a way to generate maybe more connections, networks, friendships, and let's just create together and build this into something big and monstrous and experimentally out there. But uh, today's episode is solely dedicated to... um, Initially, it was going to be the Oscars, the Oscar noms, in my opinion. But stupidly enough, Oscar films, when it comes to the UK, they are released literally, literally within a month or even a couple of weeks before the initial award ceremony is held. So you're not really given that much time, though a lot of people do it. A lot of studios do it in a marketing ploy, especially in the UK, thinking, oh, if we push it out as an Oscar contender, more viewership. (coughs) Excuse me. But anyway, I want to talk about one of the Oscar-nominated films, which, am I surprised? No, not really, that it was nominated. It is a film that I have seen. Um, I haven't seen Parasite, which is one of them, is one of the top ones that I, I'm really looking looking forward to. I think it's Bong Joon-ho's uh, latest film. I think it's directed by him, the guy who did Okja, and um, many and numerous great films, but... Um, all these Oscar films I pretty much haven't seen. And the ones I have seen, I'm like, mm, I haven't got much to say about it. But there is one film that's nominated, a movie by a certain Taika Waititi, not Taika Waititi, Taika Waititi, New Zealand filmmaker, notorious for being involved in, I believe, The Flight of the Concords. And if not, he's a filmmaker in of himself. Um, but I want to review Jojo Rabbit and talk upon this because the only reason it's... potentially Oscar-worthy is the uh, nomination systems and those up for deliberation, they've set it in certain movies. It's always the films that are eking out at the end of the year. A lot of films that are released at the beginning of the year are usually discounted or ignored. Like this year, I am fucking surprised that Jordan Peele's Us wasn't nominated for Best Original Screenplay or Film, because that film in of itself is up there with Get Out as being this grand, uh, multi-tiered, multi-layered, in quotation marks, horror, thriller, um, (laughs) body horror, metaphysical, existential crisis personified uh, uh, drama. But there was no recognition for it. So again, it's like a lot of films that fizzle out at the end of the month, or for us, in the beginning of the new year... um, there's, they're the only ones recognised, and we know there's a certain time market employs and certain things, and certain films that are in particular released strategically so they can be up for consideration, hence why Netflix is now putting films out uh, <laughs> in select cinemas so they can be up there and recognised as film, because a film has to be on the big screen to be Oscar nominated, which I'm kind of like, mm, agree, disagree, but I'm not here to talk about that, I'm talking about one of the films nominated which does not deserve to be nominated, and in a world where Taika Waititi is nominated for an Oscar, I, I, it was, <laughs> but it's probably for the wrong film, 
and as a lot of Oscars are, it's an apology. But considering that hunt for the will of people, what we do in the shadows and all such and sundry that has come before and been birthed from him, heck, even for Ragnarok, haven't even been recognised for the masterpieces that they are. But first, they haven't recognised it. They can't really apologise for it. It's as if those films were nominated before, and then now they've nominated him again, or these films were had some Oscar buzz about them. So it's a completely different thing, but like a lot of nominations this year, it's an apology for latter years where they haven't nominated certain actors for certain pieces. It's all a bit of a fucking mess, but Jojo Rabbit in particular, uh, what did I think of it? I didn't like it. Jojo Rabbit was unbearably boring extremely uneven and it was this is the main issue it was confused as to what it wanted to say and be very misjudged just because it had balls enough to make a weak satire on nazism and hitler shitler it doesn't equate it as being good though it has moments of minor hilarity it's just sparsely sprinkled throughout not sprinkled sprinkled and I'm a huge fan of Tiger's work. It's like Hunt for the Wilder People is one of the most hilarious films and one of the most subtle, resonant films out there. And the mockumentary, What We Do in the Shadows, which has birthed its own television series now and extending that legacy and that popularity of it. And then also the greatest Flash Gordon-styled film out there, as close to Flash Gordon as whoever get on a cinematic scale, uh, and also Marvel's most original and decent film since Iron Man 3, which is for Ragnarok, he has made superb movies, other more even lo-fi independent movies way back when. His films are inventive, zeisty. It has that Wes Anderson style, but it has that irrelevancy and almost mighty bushy and almost specific... Titian style and it's audacious in its irrelevancy and its wit and its charm Jojo Rabbit is lacking that edge given over the edge of irrelevancy, the edge of a potential gag that could emerge over as being controversial that daring, boundary pushing aesthetic and material into areas that you make that may make you flinch but it's far more powerful for having actually tried it and succeeded in doing it so this whole subversive, controversial self in the form of Jojo Rabbit, it's all in title and theme. And due to the era it's set in, of course, it's going to make people feel uncomfortable initially. But the material they have and that so-called verve and audaciousness that they want to apply, it isn't evidenced here anywhere, not in the filmmaking, definitely not in the storytelling, nor the performances. And it was exhausting, and a lot of time it's dependent on mood and how you're feeling that day. And I didn't feel particularly well. I was felt awful, but I had enough energy to go to the cinema. I had enough energy and expectation for this movie, so I can't really put it down to oh, I was in a bad mood. Oh, I didn't feel too well. Because that's nonsense. Because I was energized enough to up shop, go to the cinema with my partner and her mother, and watch it. And it just felt like an endless slog. It's, you're waiting for something exciting to happen, for a moment to shock, shake us up, remind us it's a satire, remind us that it's, gonna, it's, it, 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 it's really digging in deep. Or it wants to, it believes it's digging in deep. Whether an emotionally charged scene or a minor action sequence or character beats, which are the sum of all the parts of what make Taika Waititi's films great, with some really quirky, indie-fied, bohemian-edged directions. It's undelivered. We are just so bored, and so much so, we are probably feeling as dulled as Elsa Kaur, the child hiding in the walls of the titular hero and lead Jojo's home. 
We are so dull, we start to resemble Tomás and Mackenzie's performance. And this is another defined awfulness of this. The stars don't know what to do. And they're just kind of insecure, uncomfortable, when they should have really gone to it and been really uh, (laughs) strong in their resolve to do something to push the lines. The true stars are the likes of Roman Griffin Davis and the steam sealer Archie Yates. Oh, that big, pudgy-faced, cute little boy with his little protruding belly and his sweet little voice. There is such great, great dynamic and comedic duality. So much could have been evolved with this. But we get fairly few minutes with both Romans, Jojo and Archie's Yorkie. It is a wasted union, and the same is said with Tiger's imaginary Hitler and his creator, Jojo. So much potentiality, but it just it's just a hodgepodge of scenes. Boring scenes, and the greatest and weakest link in this film is Tomás and Mackenzie, who gives an extremely emotionless performance. You might as well see <laughs> a Z's trailing out of her mouth. At least that would have made something exciting. At least there would be some self-referential meta-commentary on how awful she is. Even when tears are shed, it's nothing's felt, because we have very little connective emotion with her, the audience, and also her peculiar relation with Jojo, and especially Scarlett Johansson's Rosie Betzler. It doesn't shine. And when the emotional beats hit, they should not hit in any meaningful way. She is bland, blank-faced, unemotive. Thompson's character isn't likeable at all, and it made it hard to feel for her in any way at all. And though it is probably because she, how she was written, and she's fitting into that confines of Through the Eyes of Jojo, and of course uh, that placement of era, how this young Nazi cadet and almost like wannabe uber a kid views a Nazi or has been inundated and brainwashed to believe him as. And she's trying to capture that embodiment born from Jojo's and the fucking Nazi bastard's views and imaginings of the time. And thus she exacts that. But... There's nothing belief. That is all it is, a projection of this. This horrible, spiteful, angry, menacing Jew girl. Being that of which the awful inhumane attitude and characteristics were projected onto and into all Jews. But it's never, and I repeat, never lifted for us to see or feel beneath that layering. It's like almost as if it isn't a projection of this is how Jojo views her. It's just the character of Elsa is just a spiteful bitch. You don't see anything beneath this tough exterior, which makes me think maybe her character is just an awful, nasty young girl. And even when she does lift an edge of a smile, it is in such a, a, a cliched and cringeworthy moment, so awfully executed in a, in a way as to say, ah, that it justifies why she was a moody bitch throughout. She's just so unlikable and vicious that you as an audience member can't bond with her as easily as Jojo does, and you don't see it. We know that 10-year-olds can, you know, have flights of fancies and can fall in love with the worst of people, but it just doesn't add up. And the poor performance from her isn't layered nor subtle, whereas all these other younger actors and herself are delivering on this. And I feel a better, more experienced actress could have pulled this off, whereas she's been in a few films before, that of which she didn't really shine for me either. It's just it's just off-putting, and it ruins the <laughs> already inconsistent tonality of the film. <coughs> and the performance here are also lacklustre. A lot of the performances, even when the certain actors hit their stride, because it's overly redundant. We have comedians, comedic actors, serious actors, serious actors, all have capabilities of walking the thin line of outrageousness and subtle humanity on screen. But they're all struggling with how far, or in most cases, how subdued they should be throughout. It's just all so wonky and disjointed and withheld, and that is the greatest word to describe it. 
If attempting to make such a film as harrowing and supposedly subversive and hateful towards the most high, the most heinous, inhumane moment in Earth's history and a bunch of fucking shitlers and Nazi bastards, just go for it. Go for broke. Strike out harshly with hopeless abandon. Not wince at the merest sign of audacity and on-the-nose hilarity. Watiti and crew don't seem to really have their heart in it, or withholding because of said woke culture and cry-cry boo-boos who will ultimately turn against it. But shouldn't this film not be for them? And obviously withholding due to an audience of whom will obviously flinch or wag, flinch or wag their fingers at them up on the screen for having dared cross such a line. Well, how can it be a meaningful, impactful satire then? But as much as previous films by Tiger have had an assemblage of oddens and badens, they all had a form of specific character trait or quirk, or them as assemblage, an assemblage to make us feel something at least. Or they are so overtly coloured, it's hard to dislike the supposed dislikables. There's some performances in this, in this film, that works. Alfie Allen's Finkel and Sam Rockwell's Kleisendorf, of whom are secretly a gay comedy duo, they work. It's fantastic, but it is so minimal. Blink and you'll miss these hilarious and extremely tiger character beats and moments. Even Rebel Wilson here is rather hilarious. But then she disappears, then reappears. It's an inconsistency. Stephen Merchant is probably the strongest uh, performer because he is tall, skeletal, menacing figure, his huge eyes, and with the accompaniment of an amazing accent, is both menacing and hilarious, and proven to be the thing this, film's la- this film lacks, because his performance is that fine-tuned balance of verve, nastiness, and inappropriate comedy. But they afforded such small bit parts, they don't leave enough of an impression. Only when you sit down and truly think about this, it highlights how sparse of anything this film has. As so much of the runtime is left with Jojo dealing with this fucking boring character of Elsa. And this just drags out and does nothing but stiffen and stale and ruins the ultimate film. Jojo Rabbit and all of its awards and plaudits are only garnered by the theme and notion of being a satire and one that pushes the envelope in ways that on the outside works by the posters and clever marketing. But for me, it never even scratches the surface of it, let alone attempts to reach its height. A lot of people are imbuing this film with being and representing. And of course it would be nominated, because if this film was the one of which I really, really anticipated and wanted, as did a lot of other people, the Oscars would have been like, no, 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 too controversial, too controversial. So for me, Jojo Rabbit is a dull movie that was a great idea done wrong. I am absolutely gutted, but it is what it is, a fairly piss-poor satire slash dramedy. Oh, God, ladies and gentlemen, it is two out of five stars. Oh, it was so poor. So that's my, my review on Jojo Rabbit. So this review segment is over, but I would like to reassure people, I'm just going for the bag, I brought with me all books I am intending for review. Bear with me. I would laugh, like to also give a lovely um, mention and shout out to Rowan Glasnick, of whom I previously reviewed his masterful, masterful, masterful collection, A Slow Boiling Beach. And as a thank you for considering it and reviewing it, I don't think it's a, uh, here's another book for you to review, it was a, a thank you. Uh, it's called Holy Land. 
and uh, it's got some really nice quotes in the back, a beautifully made and bound book, very professional, very this like, in the world of lo-fi independent publications a lot of the books have that that in quality of paper that you'll know yep, that's an independent book, but this looks really good and professionally bound but it's something I would also like to consider to review as well, because I really like Grau and Klasnik's work so this one is called Holy Land which I'm going to take with me when I go away, I also brought myself a signed copy of Mike Correo's um, gut text, which I'm looking forward to reading as well. And I will be reviewing that as well. A lot of people will be going, why are you reviewing the same author's uh, stuff? Because I love their work. I also, and I, I've said this for a long time, and I've got a bookmark in it to signify the significance of it. This beautifully bound book from uh, Flatfield Press. Um, Desk Clerk by Kenny Mooney of which I will start at the weekend I believe the thing is Holy Land is extremely short I can literally sit here and read it to you now with how short it is um, but my next read my next read not just for review but it was initially brought out of uh, interest for this piece of work so Desk Clerk by Kenny Mooney will be a future book review as will be uh, fellow uh, guest star, uh, Christopher Nosnibor, uh, Retail Island, that of which I will review. Like, a lot of people go, oh, you don't believe in nepotism and sycophancy? It's like, no, these were the books that I purchased. And out of my having purchased them and engaged with these creators and artists, we've built uh, a friendship, in particular me and Christopher Nosnibor. But just because he features on my podcast doesn't really derail the fact that I... Oh, you can't review his books? Yeah, I fucking can. Because my intention was to review these way before we even initially solidified and concretised our relationship. Um, so, yeah, there's many other books. I've got at least four Dostoevsky wannabe uh, books that I, I will be reviewing. But I thought I would dedicate a, a hour episode in tribute to what they're doing. Give you a little bit of information. Uh, I know that they have open submissions at the moment also for their press, for non-fiction, art books. And just to go deep, dive, deep, dive, dive, deep, deep, a deep dive into what they are doing and why I appreciate it and what I love about it. And the, review those singular books uh, in question that of which I've not read yet and give those writers a moment and uh, a moment to shine but they don't really need this fat bastard to do that do they really they've got an audience of on them in, in of themselves unlike me but now onto something that is on the tip of my tongue it's on the tip of my tongue and it's about a certain mentality a certain philosophy a lot of independent creators artists they <laughs> they're of this firm belief that they uphold a certain mentality whether it's from the beat generation whether it's from the man himself and the master William S. Burroughs and I happened across a quote one that I had not heard from him, or one that I had not heard in a while, and it's how I hate those who are dedicated to producing conformity. And there are so many supposed alt literature publishers or indie publishers who believe they are leagues away from the usual conformity dynamics and mechanics and the overall basis for and working functionality of this, this belief system, this philosophy, this this adage, these opinions, these quotes of William S. Burroughs, I think that they extend them, attenuate them, and they live and die by them. And 
fussed by projecting it by work and releasing certain works, taking up the adage of many a rebellious author or artist. One or two in particular out there, and are of this belief, and are supposed fans of Burroughs, and supposedly they continue on his legacy and system of belief, and this philosophy and adage, and this meaningfulness to him, whereby they're expressing as such, whether through the art they are behind or how they project themselves as a person or a press, guess what? Read this quote and then try and tell me you're not like everyone else. Weakly, disingenuous, faux-functioning individuals. Oh, yes, I work within the mind frame of this certain calibre of thought and intellectualisms and academia, uh, whilst they contradict themselves in of itself, and it doesn't really burn or uh, plague that overall quote of supposed belief system and philosophy. It just, in a lot of ways, subjects them to the faux mentality and conformity-driven dynamics and applications that they work as individuals and what they work as overall as creators and publishers. And, oh, me, myself, Mr Burroughs, oh, how I hate those dedicated to producing conformity whilst claiming to be anything otherwise. <laughs> but, yes, there is, that, there, there is that truth and truism. But, um, you know, there's a great frustration there for me because the philosophy of William S. Burroughs and many a great artist, many artists greater than he... I believe in and I want to attribute to my philosophy as a creator and an artist and if I can thus project it in such a manner and through the machinations and working system of my own press, I'm not going to be disingenuous. I'm not for conformity. As in previous episodes, I have, in my own weird way, named and shamed people who quite rightly deserved it. And I'm not conforming to the norm of all oh, you need to you need to take a step back and you need to be careful with what you're saying. No, because I have my right to say this person's a dick, that person's a dick, this cunt's a shit weaver's all that you know it kind of a shit weasel is much better and more resonant than the word cunt. Now segue into the word cunt. A lot of people in the US of A are like, oh my god, that's a detrimental term for a woman. Where I come from, I'm a southerner in the UK, uh, cunt has a myriad of, of meanings. It's t- d- dependent on the tenor and cadence. If you go, you fucking cunt, you're up for a fight. Uh, but a lot of the time, it's just meaningful. I went to a pub once, and there's some old school bullies who embraced me as if we were brethren, friends, forever and always. And they went, hello, you cunt, how are you doing? And I was like, oh, um... And not best in social situations, considering that this person in question used to bully me awfully and attack me on occasion. But he he was willing to embrace me, and I was kind of like put out. And I was like, um, <laughs> "How are you doing, dickhead?" And then all of a sudden, the bully returned. You fucking what? What you call me? And I'm like, uh, uh, di- di- uh, "Dickhead." He's like, "What are you fucking say that for?" I'm like, "Ah, oh, I'm only joking, you cunt." Then it resolved back into this new character, this reformed character. Ah, I do like you, Ferguson. And I'm just like, "Oh, so it's here's a term of endearment, but it's down to the cadence." But there's nothing more powerful than to going. I don't like that cunt, but I've got into many arguments with my usage of it. I've got into an argument with my partner where she jokingly told me off for eating loudly, and I turned around and went, what are you being a cunt for? And 
it exploded. We had the most hugest argument ever. I didn't intend it as a negative. I was, due to my autism, I misplaced the tenure. I didn't know if she was having a go. I didn't know if she, she was having a laugh. So there was this overt balance where I was like, oh, oh, oh shit. Um, 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 oh, why are you being a cunt for? Ha <laughs> ha. So that can be taken as jovial, but it can also be taken as civ, as serious and almost as if, why are you being like that? I should have said, why are you being like that? But I apply the C word to so many conversations and so many things and it's easily misplaced and it's easily thrown out there and I think it just flows from the tongue and it's just got resonance and it just makes me feel better saying it and even out of context like sometimes I throw a cunt out for no reason this is why I can't be a children's novelist like imagine the kids putting their hands up I'm like yes well, yes you in the red what what do you want to ask what do you think of publishers and I'll just be like they're a bunch of cunts I mean I'll be blacklisted from all the uh, <laughs> from all of the uh, stores but the word cunt it has a resonance like when you apply it to politicians and people of ill report it's just you know what what, what is the guy Zach what, what, who is the guy to you a cunt you're written off put in a box and that's where you are in the cunt box but it's to do with the tenor and the transition and how you say it so, and a lot of people do take issue like there's a lot of warning like oh be careful oh, there's a lot of swear words oh it's explicit language and but if you take it upon yourself to go I don't like swear words well if you're coming to this and you know that I have an inclination to the word don't listen to it if you don't like the word don't take, pay any notice to it. But I'm not apologising on the behalf of me saying the word cunt. I'm just giving you a little, little bit of a uh, little bit of history and its meaning and the intonations and its its reckonings. Like a lot of people are like, it's just so. <laughs> a lot of people, it's just so irrelevant. It's just so horrible. It's just so harsh. It's so brash, and you just so easily apply it to people and to conversations because it's just a favourite word of mine. And I come from a certain area where it is the law of the land, and it's a certain. It has its own certain history, histrionic of usage of intention, and it's just you know if you're around people whose inclination is to swear left, right, and centre, you know I've got a mouth of a sewer, but I'm not going to apologise for it. But I like I like to think that this is a history lesson, a mini history lesson on what the word cunt means to southerners. And you could put this across to another southerner and he can go, I have no idea what he is talking about, darling. That word makes me feel sick. I spit upon the head of Zach Ferguson. Well, do you know who Zach Ferguson is? No, but I do now. He loves the word see you next Tuesday or Thursday. <laughs> <coughs> But yeah, that was another segmentation. That was, I was going to isolate up on its own, but you know, if it can segue and it's naturally there at the back of your head, just go with it. Go with the flow. But that's me for this episode. It's a very short one. I do apologise. Um, but uh, I've got some, some arranging to do. I'm going away this weekend. And whilst we're up and away, maybe me and Laura may do another episode in and amongst ourselves. And uh, I've been really enjoying doing these episodes with Laura. Like, the, the, the content and the material and the wealth of knowledge and <laughs> almost persuasion and the articulacy of her. Uh, it really lends something to this. And I really hope that you enjoy it as much as I do. Like, I'm biased because I love her and I'm in love with her. I'm in a relationship. But she really inspires me and changes my POV on certain things because it's a wealth of knowledge and passion and learnedness and also what she's experienced in her life that makes the conversation so powerful and so relatable and so 
honest. Like, you know, that's the one thing that I do, I will never let people say about me. I'm not disingenuous, I'm honest. Maybe too honest and too open and too revealing, but not in such a protracted and foam sense of putting stuff out there on the social medias, but uh, it's the me and the whole me and the whole encapsulation of me. I am who I am, and you love me or hate me. I am, here I am, and I need to change the lyrics so we don't get sued. But uh, whilst we're away, I might also do a little travel log where we go, what we're doing, and then we're doing it for my birthday, and we're, we're going up to the Discworld Emporium. Uh, and I might get a little bit emotional because uh, Terry Pratchett means a lot to me as a creator and a personality. But thank you to you and everyone else. Remember to check out Sweat Drench Press on Facebook and the Twitters. Uh, I am on Twitter as... Oh, good Lord, I've forgotten my, forgot my own Twitter handle. Bear with me, darlings, bear with me. I, well, first of all, the podcast is at Articulate Warbling Podcast, and I am under at Zach Drenched, that's me, that's my Twitter handle, as Zach, the writer. There's no distinguishability, Articulate Warbling's me, Sweat Drenched Writer is me, but my, my at, my at is Zach Drenched. Also, remember to follow... Follow me and the press at Sweat Drenched Press on the Twitters. Remember, I am also on Instagram, and I'm gonna have to go onto Instagram because I'm I've forgotten my name on there. What is my name on there? Sweat Drenched Rit Zach Ferguson at Sweat Drenched Rit. That is Sweat Drenched Rit W R I T Sweat Drenched R W R I T Sweat Drenched Rit. So now. I'm going to leave you, ladies and gentlemen. But stay supportive, stay groovy, stay sexy. I'll see you for the next episode. Thanks so much again for listening, everyone. And remember, you can follow the show notes and find out how to help Zach and keep this show going. And thank you again for listening. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, any place that you find podcasts, we're there. And But yeah, no, newer episodes will definitely be on Spotify. And thank you for listening, and have a great day.